good to be with you this morning. So, before I get into this week, we're wrapping up our uh, in a mile in their shoes. Uh, I just want to um, prepare you for next week. So, Pastor Brian is nearing the end of his sabbatical, so I think there are two weeks left, and um, whether you like it or not, you're stuck with me for two weeks. <laughs> and so, next week, I want to encourage you to bring a Bible. And especially, we're gonna just going to do an old-fashioned Bible study. So bring one that you're not afraid to write in or take a note in. Uh, we're going to be, if you want to read ahead, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. So that's next week. This week, we're wrapping up a mile in their shoes. And so we have spent eight or nine weeks walking in the shoes or sandals or boots of a variety of characters. We've uh, shared time with Peter and Cornelius, uh, original disciple and a Roman soldier. We've been with Barabbas, who was let loose when uh, Jesus was crucified. We've talked about the woman with the issue of blood. We've spent time with the super prophet Elijah. We have been with Balaam and his talky donkey. We have uh, encountered Mary Magdalene, King Uzziah, and Isaiah. And last week, Pastor Dylan and Olivia um, shared Joshua and Rahab's story with us in the Battle of Jericho. And so we've been able to walk in their shoes. What a group. And we, we've spent time with disciples two prostitutes, two prophets, kings, a seer, a talking donkey, Roman soldiers, and the leader of a whole nation of Israel. And we've walked in their shoes, we've shared their journeys, we've learned some valuable life lessons that I think are lessons that we can take uh, with us today. A very special group, and through this very unique group, God has been able to not only uh, reveal his purpose, but accomplish his plan. You see, God's plan is for us. You've heard Pastor Brian say that the, we are, there's no plan B, that we are plan A uh, as his followers. And so God uses a unique variety of people to accomplish his plan and his purpose and fulfill his promise. And that promise was the promise that was revealed to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that he would be the father of many nations, and that all nations through him would be blessed and pastor Dylan and Olivia reminded us of that last week that God is for all people and so that's the journey we've been on so we conclude today with another amazing journey and this is a journey that takes place the week after the the tumultuous events of the crucifixion and the resurrection but before we get into the journey today let me start sharing an illustration just an illustration from one of my, my favorite TV um, shows. I'm not a big TV guy, but I was a mashaholic. Anybody else? All right. So I've seen all those episodes uh, over and over again, a sitcom from the 70s about the Korean War, a group of doctors and nurses who are surrounded um, in a mash unit by wounded soldiers and dying and death and blood and all of that. And one of the characters was a Charles, Ma Major Charles Winchester. And, and I don't know if you remember Charles. Charles was from Boston, Boston, and he was a surgeon, and he did not want to be there. He thought his place should be back home where he was in, from a wealthy family making lots of money. And so he really fought being in, in Korea in this mass unit. He was a Harvard ed graduate. And he spent a great deal of time trying to separate himself from his surroundings. And so finally it all gets to him. And he, he spends time in this deep depression trying to make sense of all of the, the tragedy and the brutality and the, the stuff surrounding him. And so finally, unable to, to find answers, he takes a dramatic step. 
One night he sneaks away and he goes to the front lines where they're not mass units, they're hamburger units where they bring the soldiers in when they're first wounded and they're trying to just keep them alive and patch them up enough to get them to the mass units. And so he goes there trying to find out the answers he needs, particularly about death. And so in desperation, he's in this camp. Colonel Potter sends somebody after him, but before he gets to him to leave, there's one more soldier that, that Major Winchester um, has to deal with. And so this soldier is at the point of dying. And so desperate, Major Winchester goes to his bedside, and the soldier says, hold my hand. And so Major Winchester takes his hand, and the soldier says, I can't see anything. I can't feel anything. And so Major Winchester sees his chance. He says, tell me what you see. Tell me what you're feeling. I have to know. Tell me what you see right now. What are you going through? And all the soldier says is, I smell bread. Isn't that odd? I mean, what Major wants more than anything, what he craves are answers to this pain and destruction and tragedy and suffering. He's trying to make sense of things that don't make sense. Can you see anything? Can you feel anything? Why is this happening? I have to know. And what he gets instead of facts is a fragrance. In the midst of all the suffering, the soldier smells bread. I baked bread this morning. Did you smell it? Uh -huh. You know what? Life is filled with hard times and difficult questions. There have been times in my life that I feel like I'm in the tent with Major Winchester. Not necessarily about death. I've got death settled. I know what my, my future holds. But there have been times of pain and heartache and difficult questions. Life is filled with questions. Personally, I've experienced a loneliness after a painful and bitter divorce. I've spent 20 years running from a call that I knew God had called me to because I felt unworthy. When Robin was nearing the end of her battle with cancer, I spent two weeks in hospice watching her die, questioning why. I didn't question God, but I questioned why cancer. Cancer sucks. I've questioned death. I've questioned why Robin, and ultimately why me. Life is filled with hard questions. I could list a dozen more circumstances in my life where I've had questions. You know what? History is filled with questions. There are periods in history that we can't make sense of. I just returned from a, a visit to, to Normandy in France where thousands of soldiers died because a madman named Hitler was trying to take over Europe. Pol Pot, Stalin, over and over through history, we see this, and we can't make sense of that. We can't make sense of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It doesn't make sense, and it leaves us with questions. Our world is filled with questions. Can we make sense of 9-11? Can we make sense of all the mass shootings we've heard about lately? Can we make sense of spousal and child abuse that we hear about on a regular basis? Sex trafficking, can we make sense of that? Our world is filled with questions. And I bet if I were to give you a sheet of paper and say, write down the questions that you faced or that you are facing right now, there wouldn't be a blank piece of paper in the, in the room. Because I'm just confident that every one of you has faced or is facing difficult questions. Let me let you in on a secret. 
Skepticism is a part of life, and questions lead to skepticism. But skepticism starts us on a journey for answers. You see, Major Winchester wondered if he was really doing any good. So facing death, he wanted to know if his life was making a difference. And we all have that. We all want to know, is, is my life making a difference? So let me share with you a bit of wisdom, and I have some because I turned 60 last week, so now I'm wise. <laughs> things that my life experience have taught me, things that being in the ministry have taught me, it's that skepticism starts us on a journey for answers. It's when things don't make sense that we strive to make sense of them. It starts us on a quest to know. And the mere fact that we have questions starts us on that journey. And when it comes to our faith, particularly it increases our faith. I would be more concerned if I was the pastor of a church that didn't have any questions and skepticism than if I would when I came to a church where there were no questions because that would tell me that you're comfortable. And comfortable is far more dangerous than skepticism because when we're comfort, we sit on our duffs and do nothing. But when we have skepticism, when there are questions in our lives, we go looking for answers, and those answers drive us to truth. Conversely, failure to seek answers in truth leaves us with spiritual blinders on, which make us become critical. And critical spirit leads to cynicism, and cynicism leaves us bitter and unusable. Here's the kicker in all of this. About the time we feel like we're getting somewhere, where we've got some answers and we're gaining a little ground in our faith and things are coming al along our way, what happens? Something major. And it starts all over again. And we find ourselves again surrounded by questions and skepticism. When we get in this cycle, we wonder how to get out of the cycle. That's what Major Winchester was in. So we need something to help us to break the cycle. What our story this morning that we're going to talk about and the shoes we walk in today teach us is there are times in life when we just need to smell bread. If you'll turn to chapter to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 is where we're going to start. We're going to walk with Cleopas and his buddy, his companion this morning. Uh, and so the, Luke 24, chapter, or chapter 24, verse 13 reads this. That same day, and that same day means it's the day of Jesus' resurrection. So he's been crucified, and now his body is gone. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. <laughs> Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. What things, Jesus said? The things that have happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Have you ever noticed that nothing leads to questions more than getting your hopes dashed? To getting things crushed that you were planning on? That's where they are. 
The story continues, then some women from our group of his followers were at this tomb early this morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran to see him, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe hear the skepticism you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in scriptures wasn't it clearly predicted that the messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering glory then jesus took them through the writings of moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself by this time they were nearing emmaus the end of the journey and jesus acted as if he were going on but they begged him stay the night with us since it's getting late so he went home with them and as they sat down to eat he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. What a story. So these two men are left with questions. And you have to understand from the story that these aren't just ordinary folks who are intrigued by what they've seen the last few days. They're not just tourists in town who have kind of witnessed some things that they're trying to comprehend and make sense of. These guys are identified as followers of Jesus. And even their story tells us that they're familiar with the events of his crucifixion. And even more perplexing, his resurrection. They tell the story of his resurrection and they still don't get it. As followers, they would have been exposed to his teachings and witnessed and, and heard of his miracles. They would have engaged with his disciples regularly. They would have acknowledged, they even acknowledged that he was betrayed and handed over by their own religious leaders, and they still don't get it. So here we have followers who have been around Jesus, heard of him, heard him teach, talked about the fact that he would suffer and die, and yet they remain skeptical. We had hoped he was the Messiah. Many of us here fall in that same category, don't we? So caught up in what's not that we miss what is. So focused on our expectations that we miss his miracles. So here's the first thing we need to know about this encounter as we walk in the shoes of Cleopas, in the middle of his skepticism. Jesus shows up at just the right time, which is his time. Suddenly, it says, Jesus, whose identity is kept from them, joins them on the road and asks what they're talking about. Well, you know, the story, they're incredulous. What, were you under a rock? Where have you been the last three days? Are you the only one that don't know what's happening? They're disappointed. They're confused. They're skeptical. And it's right in the middle of their skepticism that Jesus shows up. Now, it's always intrigued me that, you know, they, that doesn't get them. It doesn't seem to bother them that just Jesus appears it just, they, they still don't get it. So it's right in the middle of their skepticism that he encounters these two men. And what's, what gets me is that they're not particularly important followers. I mean, we've never heard of these guys before. And there's a lot going on. So there are a lot of people that have questions. His disciples, they're, they're in a room right now, feared. There are a lot of people that have questions, and yet Jesus shows up to two ordinary guys walking to Emmaus. And he meets them right in the middle of their questions. So if I were to ask you, has Jesus ever showed up for you just in time? Are there points that you can look back and see a miracle when you need a miracle? When you can see an answer when you needed an answer? You know, someone once said, Jesus is never early, but he's never late. 
That's the Jesus we serve. So you may be here this morning and you consider yourself to be a follower, and yet you find yourself filled with questions we had thought or we had hoped. And I would say to you, you know what? You know what the good news is to begin with? He's rescued you already. I mean, he went to the cross for you. He's paid for your sin and your doubt and all of that ahead of time. And so you've already been rescued. He's going to show up at just the right time, and it's his time. It might not be your time. His answers might not be your answers. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. And for that, we can be thankful. Another thing about this journey that they're on is that his truth, the truth that he brings to them is eye-opening. So after listening, Jesus begins to speak to their skepticism. And he starts by reviewing, it says, the scriptures from Isaiah to current, all the prophets, it says, all the scriptures about him. So it would have been things like Micah 5.2, where it's written that 700 years before he even exists, that he would be born in Bethlehem out of all the towns, out of all the nations, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus says, they said that about me 700 years before I was born. It would have been Isaiah 7. He said that he would be born of a virgin, which was fulfilled in Matthew 1. In Psalm chapter 22, a prophecy written a thousand years before he was born, it says that his hands and his feet would be pierced, speaking of crucifixion, which didn't even exist until 700 years later. Perhaps he compared Zechariah 11 with Matthew 27. Zechariah 11 was written 500 years before Christ, and Matthew's 27, 30 years after he was dead, but it talks about the 30 pieces of silver. Perhaps he compared that for him. So Jesus explains all of these things as they reach the end of their journey. I can't even imagine how they listen to these things, and they still don't get it. So they invite Jesus to stay. He sits down at the table. He takes the bread, blesses it, and breaks it. And then their eyes are opened and they recognize him. You know what? The best way to find answers to your questions and your skepticism is to commune. The best way when your life is filled with uncertainty and doubt and you need to know is to commune. It's to spend time. It's to break bread. Communion, and we're going to celebrate communion in, in a moment, is far more than a time when we nibble on bread and take a little juice. When we break bread, we commune. My prayer this morning is that you would leave here with a new recognition of God's power and presence in your life because we break bread and we remember Jesus. I pray that for you and me it will be eye-opening. Has a certain smell ever triggered memories for you? Like bread? I imagine the soldier, and I don't know this, but I imagine the soldier that Major Winchester envisioned smells bread because he's back home. And his mother's baking bread. In my first church, the first time I got in the old church van to take the youth to camp, it reminded me I was instantly transported Star Trek via my 1969 Ford F-150 pickup truck. That smell immediately took me back. Every time I open a container of cottage cheese, I reminded my mom used to make cottage cheese, 
and it was nasty. <laughs> and I still don't eat cottage cheese because of that smell. I find, there's some people with me today, amen. I find it interesting that in our story it was at the moment that he broke bread when that smell floated across their noses, boom, a memory came flooded back and they realized this is Jesus. This is the one that we've been hearing about. He is risen. So even though he walked with them, he talked with them, he listened to them and comforted them, it wasn't until they got that smell of bread that they broke bread that they realized that it was Jesus. And sometimes in life, when you need more than answers, you need to stop and break bread. You need to commune. You need to spend time. You need to remember that you're not alone. You need to remember the times when God showed up, when he provided the miracle, when you needed a miracle, when he provided an answer, when you needed an answer. Sometimes you need more than just answers. You need to commune. I can't help to think when the bread was broken that their eyes were open and they felt a huge sense of relief. Now, did they have all the answers? They did not. But they were in the presence of Jesus. And that's what the presence of Jesus does. It overwhelms us with a sense of peace and hope and love. Sometimes we need more than enlightenment and explanation and answers. Sometimes all the wisdom in the world isn't enough. Sometimes even knowing Jesus and what he's done doesn't seem like enough. Sometimes we just need to stop and take time to commune, to bask. We need to realize that he was there all the time. When the days seem dark and we feel abandoned, he was there. When life brings questions and things don't make sense, he is there. When skepticism rises and we wonder if he's really real, he's real. When something turns our world upside down and we begin to wonder, he is the answer we need. So this morning as we commune, as we smell the bread, be reminded he is there and you are never alone. Be reminded of Romans 8, 28, a scripture that most of you are probably familiar with, that all things work together for good. All things. The questions, the skepticism, the doubt, the fear, those things aren't a sin. They're not a wrong. But God works those things together for the good to those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose, for those who commune. So I've often wondered when reading this passage why God kept them from recognizing Jesus until that moment. And I have to think it was because it speaks clearly to the fact of God's perfect timing and with our need for his perfect timing. So we get so caught up in our answers, in our time. I think that God allows us to go through things sometimes so that we wait on his timing so that we grow in him. You see, many times in our life we face difficult and trying times and expect God to deliver us when his plan is for a deeper understanding of him. In our questions and circumstances and difficulties, his desire is for a relationship with us. And so he shows up at just the right time. His timing is always perfect. In the middle of our trials and tests, God's there. His ultimate purpose to reveal himself, he accomplishes in his time. 
And I love the next verse. We didn't read it this morning, the story. But Jesus leaves when they recognize him, and they look at each other, and they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? My prayer this morning is that when we leave here, our hearts would burn because we've encountered the risen Lord. That we've done more than just snibble a piece of bread and sip some juice. That we've communed with the creator of the universe, the savior who died on the cross for us. No matter what questions we have, no matter our skepticism, that we would commune because, folks, Jesus is enough. No, Jesus is more than enough. That's what we do this morning. So even though you may have questions, he is here.